the worst bestsellers, where we read about the cancellation of Justin Timberlake so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read The Woman in Me by Britney Spears. Joining us to discuss this tale of Britney Freed is putative winner of the imaginary reality TV show America's Next Top Best Friend, Margaret H. Willison. <laughs> I made up that title, but it still makes me so happy. Hi, you guys. <laughs> You you made it up, but then you earned it. I you mean, deserve it. It's true. Thank you. I agree. <laughs> uh, welcome back to the show, Margaret. Thank you for joining us. I'm so honored to be here. I also want to share a small mystery resolved that uh, that you have a, a part to play in, Margaret. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> so our our last recorded episode was um, our Patreon choice episode, The Time Traveler's Wife. And we, at the top of the show, we were like, this is sort of random. I'm so curious, like, why this was such a runaway hit in our poll. You know, I was like, it's kind of an older book. I don't really understand why. Like, I really thought the Patreons would make us read, like, Colleen Hoover or something. And I was like, Mm -hmm. that's random. Mm -hmm. And then we heard from many people that the reason they wanted us to read the book is because they had so enjoyed Appointment Television's discussion of the TV show. Oh boy! So, <laughs> Did yeah, you listen which, to it. I feel like I listened to it at the time, but my my memory for um my memory for media is so like yeah goldfishy. Sure, I agree. <laughs> um, because then when people are like, "Oh, and like the time traveling foot," I was like, "I do remember the time traveling foot actually," <laughs> but I had like blocked that out. Um, yeah, the most important thing is that not just body parts travel time travel but fluids expelled from the body time travel oh god and so like we spent a lot of time thinking about where oh god (laughs) so sorry to do this to kate i don't even want to get more specific than that but yeah um yeah so just like a pool of henry's blood time travels from another place at some point which just it presented so many questions. Many questions. Many, many yeah. questions. Yeah, because the thing about the book, I mean, you can listen to that recent episode if you want more about the book. The book definitely has its problems and challenges. Yeah. None of that shit happens in the book. No. No. Play that. No. She's definitely thought about time travel actually more carefully than I think Stephen Moffat has in his entire life, especially the many years he spent running the most famous time travel show in sci-fi. Otherwise, I'm yeah. Doctor Who. Yes, um, I've heard of it. I'm familiar. Yeah, that book is so weird, and I have to say, I give it snaps for being as weird as it is. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I don't want to turn this into another Time Traveler's Wife episode because we mostly said what we had to say about that on past episode available on our feeds. But I did want to give a, a shout out to Appointment Television and Margaret Wilson, the once and future co-host of Appointment Thank you. Television. We will be back again soonish with a strike shortened good one, bad one for the current TV season. Mm. So, you know, if people are looking for more episodes of that show, we will have them before too long. Hooray. Uh, Before we get too far into it, I do want to once again address the elephant in the room, which is that I am sick again. And I am sorry. I'm sorry, sonically, that you need to listen to me like this. Um. I do feel okay. I just sound dead. Like a sultry Kathleen Turner. (laughs) You're welcome, listeners. Enjoy the pleasant frisson of mystery her voice adds to the podcast. 
Join our Patreon to keep Kate in herbal teas and vitamin C gummies. Uh, so important. So important. Oh, this no. is the American healthcare system. No. <laughs> in action. Uh, oh, also, uh, another announcement at the top of the show. Because in years past, I've learned that uh, many listeners do not listen all the way to the end of this show. And many do not listen to our best of the year episode. They only like it mm. when we talk about bad books. Mm. So... First of all, that's fine. You're, it's fine. I appreciate whatever you listen to. <laughs> if you don't want to listen to our favorite books, that's fine. But anyway, the point is we are going to take January off as we have become our custom over the last few years. And people are always like, where's the new episode? And I'm like, you didn't listen when we announced it. So right here, I'm announcing. <laughs> and the part where you hopefully are still listening. We're taking January off to... Responsible. Yeah. Recuperate. for. For our maladies. Yes. Anyway. uh, Also, content warnings. I mean, I do feel like most of the content warnings about Britney Spears' life have sort of been in the news. But, like, it's pretty fucked. Yeah, this book is very sad. uh, You know, parental abuse, emotional abuse, abortion that was not necessarily wanted by Britney. Just... Just bad, just bad things uh, have happened to Ms. Spears. Yeah, disordered, disordered eating and, oh, and yeah. body image stuff. Um, occasional, occasional suicide contemplation. Although we may or may not get into it. Uh, yeah. yeah, those are the biggies. And then just like the trauma of reencountering, if you're a millennial as we are, like the punching bag of your early youth and being like, oh god. I participated in this culture to some degree and it was a person the whole time and it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Content warning for early aughts tabloid culture. Yeah. That's a great catch all. That really encompasses so much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Britney Spears, um, we know her, we love her. I, I want to say that, like, and at the beginning of the kind of like free Britney movement, I I was not a believer in free Britney. I was just like, okay, like she's she's posting weird shit on Instagram, whatever. Um, I I really thought people were going too far with the conspiracy theories about her Instagram videos, and then when it kind of came to light that, like, in fact, she was being so controlled and being held against her will in this conservatorship and that finally ended spoilers for the book, but you know, if <laughs> spoilers for existing in pop culture. Yeah. <sighs> Whenever we do celebrity memoir, it's like, it's sort of the plot, but it's also sort of just this person's life. And you probably already know a lot about the person's life. If they're famous enough to have a memoir. And I think that's certainly true of Brittany. So we'll just, we'll just go through and vibes of the memoir and see where that takes us. But anyway, I, I did not believe in free Brittany and I'm ashamed. Um, that I didn't, and and now I'm so happy that all of that has ended. Well, I would be <sighs> curious to know, like, what were your orientations to Britney when she was just like a new pop star? Like, what have your journeys with Britney been like? What a good, what a good question. Thank you. Yeah. Um, when she first came on the scene with like one more time, I was definitely like more in my alternative girl era, yeah. and like, um, you know, I I wasn't as I wasn't a fan. I definitely, like, 
you know, I wasn't like Perez Hilton, but I'm sure I like <laughs> laughed at some mean jokes about Britney when I encountered oh, yeah. them. Um, I'm sure that I did. And then as I grew more into like enjoying pop music, um, enjoying like, you know, drag queens and like going out dancing, etc. I was like, oh yeah. yeah, these are bops for sure. Correct. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, very then, similar to my journey. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say, like, Brittany is the biggest sufferer of my early adolescent, I'm not, like, other girls phase. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Because, like, Brittany Spears was, like, the other girl I wasn't, like. Exactly. And I was, like, low-key tipper gore about, like, the lyrics and, like, the hypocrisy of how sexually she presented herself and then said she was a virgin and so on and so forth. And, um like simultaneously treated her like the architect of her image, but also gave her no credit for being the architect of that image. Uh, and then mm-hmm. um, Toxic, obviously, was such a bop yes. that I couldn't fight it. And then from that point, she was more like a figure of fun, but like a loved one. We were like, yeah. oh, like a dumb Britney, like what she's up to again. Like that scamp, like a Looney Tune. She was like a human Looney Tune. <laughs> oh yeah yeah and then uh there was the slow reckoning into adulthood with like oh no she wasn't a cartoon she was a person yeah yeah for me i somewhat i think especially in this podcast like famously i'm not always super up on pop culture and (laughs) it was hard it was hard to be a millennial in the late 90s early 2000s without knowing who britney spears was yeah i was like largely a aware of her as a person but I was not you know I I don't think like I'm sure I'm sure that I participated in some like mean jokes and like ribbing or whatever of her back in the day but I honestly I I can't I can only picture her as part of the like landscape of the time I don't think I've ever in my life sat down to actually like listen to her music one way or the other (laughs) I would say that like the biggest the biggest moment that she came back to me in pop culture was a uh, long lost beloved mystery show did an episode about someone who saw Britney at an event with her friend's book or with her book. Yes. <laughs> and that I think was the first time in many years that Britney had popped back onto my pop cultural radar. Um, and then once I started hearing more about the free Britney movement as it started taking, like, as it as it started gaining, like, oh, like, actually, she is in this bad conservatorship, like, and getting headlines like that. That was kind of the first time that that had popped into my my yeah. awareness. So I, I, I was coming in pretty, pretty uh, fresh to this book. I, I knew very little about her and her life and what had been going on. I think I maybe could have been able to tell you she was, she had a Vegas residency. I definitely could have told you that. I feel like Taffy Brodesser Ackner wrote a couple of really good pieces early in her career that focused on Britney. I know one where she went to the Vegas show, but I think also one maybe where she was on like a cruise ship that was dedicated Mm. to Britney Spears. And those were in like the mid like 2015 or thereabouts. And that was definitely a moment where like Brittany was coming back onto my radar as like a, 
a subject of incisive cultural analysis. Ana- analysis. Analysis. So yeah, I'm going to try and find those pieces. All right. Uh, I also do want to give a shout out to Britney's Broadway musical Once Upon yes. a One More Time, which I so this was announced in like 20 I, I think 2018 2019 I first heard about it and it was going to do its pre-Broadway tryout in Chicago and uh I'm you know I'm from Illinois I pretty often go back to Chicago so I had made plans to visit Chicago and see this pre-Broadway tryout with my friend Anna in March 2020 was when that show was supposed (laughs) to premiere. So obviously it didn't due to circumstances. And then uh, it got rescheduled a lot and it ended up having its pre-Broadway tryout in Washington, D.C., which I did not end up ending attending. I ended up attending. Oh, you saw it in D.C.? I saw it in D.C., yeah. Oh, okay. When we were talking about, I I didn't realize you'd see. It. Okay, great. So yeah, and then I'm Anna was going to come to New York, and we were going to see it, and then it posted its closing date for like two weeks after we were going to see it. So I made like a 24 hour bus journey to just like go up and see the closing show in New York, and then come back. And I I think this sh- again, this is about the memoir and not about the Broadway show. So I'll just say quickly that I didn't love it but i loved seeing the britney songs i love the choreography i think it could be really fun as like a vegas residency like you know not with britney there because clearly she does not want to do that but like a vegas show with vegas people doing it maybe would work better because i think it maybe just wasn't quite overall broadway caliber but the (laughs) the basic plot of it is that like all the princesses are trapped in this fairy tale book and then one of them acquires a copy of The Feminine Mystique by Betty Friedan, and it has some like very specific <laughs> Betty Friedan jokes. And I was like, who is this for? And now I'm like, I feel like maybe it was like just for Britney Spears because she seems to like the way that she intakes information like one grain at a time. I was like, I wonder if she read like an inspirational quote from Betty Friedan and it like sincerely changed her life. And she was like, yeah, and like I know she didn't write the musical or anything, but she like had signed off on it and said that she liked it. So I, having read this memoir, the musical retroactively makes more sense to me. <laughs> and I, I will be remiss if I don't put a plug in here and say that if you would like to hear more of Renata's thoughts on the musical, you could always subscribe to our Patreon where we did do a bonus episode where uh, Renata went into much more detail about the musical itself. I think it was for October. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I saw it in September. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you told me about it when you picked me up from dragon con. (laughs) Yes. 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 I did talk about it in more detail there, but okay. I think, is there anything else that we want to say pre digging into the memoir, just about our general Brittany experiences? No, I feel ready now. Okay. Um, okay. So it opens as most memoirs do in her childhood. So I know Margaret, that you and I both listened to Who Weekly podcasts, and I mm-hmm. had, I had their talk about it in my head as I was reading it, and it it sort of informed my reading of just the way that Bobby was talking about being able to kind of pick out how this was 
written in a conversation with the ghostwriter and you could maybe sort of pick out things that were just like stuff Brittany said directly and got pasted in and maybe other stuff that was like prompted to end up there or, you know, paraphrased. Yeah, for sure. And I think this opens up with a couple quotes that I feel like are things that that Brittany said. (laughs) Raising kids in the South used to be more about respecting your parents and keeping your mouth shut. Today, the rules have reversed. It's more about respecting the kids. And shortly after, in the Bible, it says, your tongue is your sword. My tongue and my sword were me singing. <laughs> like, like it's, yeah. very, it's very earnest. It's very sort of like, Brittany, a lot of this comes across as sort of like a crotchety boomer. <laughs> like, in a way that like she's earned and she deserves it. But like. It's a weird vibe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Especially in terms of like how she views her little sister who grew up in like very different material circumstances, largely because of Brittany's success uh, that Brittany and her older brother got to. Um, There's definitely that like boomer tension of like, well, I wanted you to feel, I wanted you to have like a different material experience of the world than I did, but also I want you to have the same degree of gratitude someone who's actually experienced the hardships I did would have when greeted with like security. Yeah. <laughs> and and that you don't makes me feel like you're ungrateful. <laughs> Obviously there's more complexity to her dynamic with Jamie Lynn Spears than just that. Um, and I think she has every right to be as angry with Jamie Lynn and her mom for publishing memoirs that basically capitalize off of her fame when she was under a devastating conservatorship that uh, made her feel completely broken inside. Yeah. But yeah, that aspect of it jumped out in some of the scenes where she's like going back to Louisiana and encountering teenage Jamie Lynn Spears. Yes. Yeah. She talks in these early chapters a lot about her her grandparents, her parents, especially her dad's alcoholism and how, you know, unsettled and unsafe she sometimes felt at home. And then also delves into the beginning of her, her life performing. You know, she talks about how there was a woman who would help with the laundry, who would sing and how like singing was so important to her. And hearing this woman sing is like one of her first memories of really feeling free and euphoric and you know that that singing and dancing would be the thing that she would do in order to feel most in herself and away from all of her circumstances which is I think a thing that a lot of a lot of of celebrities who do these sorts of memoirs say that like it is the performing that does make them feel as if you know they they are finally like one with the world in a way that they don't necessarily in their day-to-day lives Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was impressed throughout with how much of Brittany's voice feels like it comes through despite the ghostwriting. Mm-hmm. And also, like, how many of the insights seemed like they were genuinely hers. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. they seemed very authentic to her point of view and understanding. And, like, I got a very sort of cohesive sense of her as a person, and I think maybe more in the first half of the memoir than in the second half of the memoir. 
in the second half of the memoir, perhaps understandably, I think all of the things she experienced were so fresh that she's just like revisiting her anger and frustration and misery, like again and again, without a lot of um, perspective. Yeah. And I do think the pacing of the second half also just felt much more rushed which I mm-hmm. think probably has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, and again, we'll get in, more into this, but the fact that she is dealing, you know, talking about living under the conservatorship and, you know, the things that she was forced to do and the things that she wanted to do but couldn't. And I think time, I think, just gets more malleable. So the pacing yeah. does feel weirder in the second half. Well, like, also, that time period is, like, like my sense of – 2016 to 2023 is also mm-hmm. like weird, disjointed, yes. compressed, yeah, like like not narratively ideal. So, in addition to it being a very hard time in Britney's life, it was like globally kind of a time where our pacing was off. Yeah, that's we kinda, so true. We were kind of going through it. We were kind of we as, as a as a species going through it between 2016 and uh, present. Yeah, especially America. Yeah. yeah. Yikes. Um, and I do know Brittany has said there will be, like, she's working on a volume two of her memoir. So maybe that will unpack yeah. some of that stuff more. I, I do feel like she has been processing her youth. And I know that, you know, Brittany, like, didn't go to college and, like, she didn't need to. She's busy being Brittany Spears. But I do, and I don't, I don't know if there's any way to, like, say it without being, like, an elitist asshole. But I feel like she's, like, receiving little fragments of like a gender women studies class like (laughs) like she would read like one article you know again I I don't believe that she read all of the feminine mystique even but like uh, you know she would read like little pieces and be like oh my god like feminism like maybe has a point and like maybe the way that I was treated was sexist (laughs) yeah yeah I don't know that she ever spoke critically of feminism. Well, I'm sure she probably did just because like every early aughts celebrity was like, I'm not a feminist. Yeah. I just believe everyone should be equal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't hate men. I think men are so great. Um, Although, you know, she doesn't necessarily think men are so great. And in the first half of the book, the man who sucks the most is for sure her dad. Although her grandfather doesn't sound great either. It, yeah, she does, like, reckon with the fact that her grandfather had been so abusive to her dad, but then by the time she knew her grandfather, he was sort of, like, mellowed out and loving. And I think this is another thing she's retroactively coming to understand is, like, the way that, you know, um, abuse is cyclical and the way that her dad was the way that he was to her has a lot to do with the way his dad was to him. But as a kid, she didn't really understand all that and she just knew, like, her dad sucked. How trauma impacts generations and how it produces these cycles. Yeah. Yeah. She, um, there's also, this is, this is like wildly in the other direction. Um, (laughs) you just talk a lot about, you know, her, her growing up and how, un how she could, you know, go through these periods of feeling very unsafe in her own home and everything. Mm -hmm. She does talk about, um, you know, she does at this point, like start to get into the idea of performing and she auditions for the Mickey Mouse Club and uh she does well in the audition but the is not chosen for that you know particular cast but is told by 
the producers that like she is very talented and her mother is given the name of some agents and some talent people uh in new york who might be able to represent her and give her some more opportunities and i think to me the the most the weirdest cameo in this for me is that she talks about um getting cast in a play where she was uh laura bell bundy's understudy yeah i yeah. completely got that too she was the laura bell bundy <laughs> thank you um, and i was just like oh that is not i was not that felt like that came out of left field for me um but hey i learned something cool and new um but mm-hmm. so she does mm-hmm. She finds that performing weekly just at that age is not for her. She wants to, she doesn't want to work through the holidays. Like she wants to be with her family. She doesn't like the attention of the, and the, the schedule of the, you know, of a typical theatrical, like eight performances a week kind of dealio. She does quit and go back home to Louisiana. Mm -hmm. um, And just like hang, it seems like a hangout for a little while and then re- um re-auditions for mickey mouse club and this time like gets cast Mm -hmm. yeah and because mainly the first time she auditioned um she was too young really like they wanted 10 year olds and she was eight also i went down a little rabbit hole of because i feel like so much is talked about in in popular culture of like how many famouses were in the new mickey mouse club but not all of them were so I went on the Wikipedia page for Mickey Mouse Club because there were 35 new Mouseketeers in the early 90s. And many mm-hmm. of them are famous. Brittany, mm-hmm. uh, Christina, Justin, etc. But some of them are just randos. Like, I, So I just like started looking at the randos. And like one of them is named Tasha Danner. And she mm-hmm. does work at some kind of like dance school or something. But like she is on Instagram posting like a picture of a mushroom captioned like, what a fun guy. And it got 11 likes. And oh, I was wow. just like, this is like an alternate reality where like, what if Brittany was one of the non-famous Musketeers and she just yeah. could like live her life and post little like mushrooms on Instagram. And I, yeah. I feel like she would have been a lot happier. I think she would have been a lot yeah. happier. That said, I think she'd also be MAGA under those circumstances and i think she's maybe not Mm. under these so that's good you know true true um but i guess i would rather like maybe i would rather like a like a content but thoroughly unenlightened britney than like a britney who's been enlightened but only by excruciating suffering yeah yeah and that's the real a serial rock yeah. paper snicked of this week's episode. Uh-uh. Yeah, right. Um, so so she she's on the, the New York Mouse Club. Um, she meets, of course, as we're not alluded to, Justin Timberlake uh, and Christina Aguilera and Ryan Gosling and all of these other uh, young up-and-comers. And she immediately, like, bonds with Justin. And she has her first kiss from him playing truth or dare. It's like, it's giving like Disney channel original movie, but it was her life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And she, she goes after, after she wraps on that, she goes back to Louisiana and at first is just like kind of a teenager for a while. And then hears that Justin is uh, getting together with some other guys to start a band and uh a little group called in sync yes mm-hmm. 
and that one of the other Mouseketeers had like done a girl group. Yes, innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, like she's going back to Louisiana to be like a quote normal teenager, but it's like rural Louisiana, so she's the most redneck rural teenager, and like mm-hmm. which I love for her, but she like. Her mom starts teaching her to drive at 13, which is, like, big rural kid energy. But then Mm -hmm. also Brittany started smoking at 13. So, like, there was an incident when she was driving the car with her mom. She's 13. Her mom starts freaking out about selling smoke and, like, freaks out so much. She makes Brittany crash the car. And I was like, this is is a very rural Louisiana story that we're Mm -hmm. in. She oh. also, at this point, had, like, started drinking with her mom. They would go, like, down the Gulf Coast together. Or maybe even younger, she starts drinking, like, daiquiris and white Russians. Brittany's yeah. relationship with alcohol throughout this book is, like, fascinating. Because she's yeah. forced to go to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, but she clearly doesn't identify as an alcoholic. No. But she probably is one. Like, there's no way for her to have, like, a particularly healthy relationship with alcohol. Given I, the way yeah. it showed up in her life and time, I mean, for sure she could have benefited from like Al Anon when yeah, the meetings for, sure. for like families yeah. of alcoholics. Yes, it's hard to say because for thirteen years, like she was so controlled, she wasn't allowed to have any alcohol at all. So yep. So it's, anyway, it's real tough to say. Um, but you know, uh, some some other girls from another girl from uh, Mickey Mouse Club is joining a girl group, but. Um, Brittany decides to to try to to try to fly solo, as it were, and start her own musical career. Yeah, um, and she does. She gets her recording deal with Jive Records, and her family friend Felicia Culotta, which also just sounds like a drag name, but it's her it real does. name. Felicia Culotta becomes like her her guardian, who you know. Which, a lot of like younger actors and pop stars or whatever have that kind of person who travels with them at their parents can't or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I had to laugh because so Felicia throughout like spoilers ends up being kind of like a villain in this story, but her Instagram bio says currently as of like November, 2023 artist and producer liaison for and Juliet musical, which ah. is Assistant to Britney Spears and Jonas Brothers, and VIP coordinator, Piece of Me Las Vegas residency. That's her bio. And I'm like, are you still Britney's assistant? Because I don't think you are anymore. At one point, she says that Felicia was like not hired to come and work with her in the house, and that like Felicia was told Britney didn't want to work with her anymore. And Britney's like, I did not make the decision. I would never have fired Felicia. Like, my dad made that decision. And so the implication is, like, Felicia's still in the machinery, but that, like, Jamie Spears had very deliberately sort of removed her from Britney's immediate surroundings because he didn't trust her to be, like, loyal to him in his evil schemes. Yeah. Um, Also, Britney and the Jonas Brothers have the same security guard who is named Big Rob. Ha! Um, and that um, made me laugh because uh, as a as a Jonas Brothers semi fan, I'm familiar with Big Rob, <laughs> who appears in the video for and in the lyrics for "Burning Up." Wow. Um, mm-hmm, I know Big Rob. Prestige. A prestige, exactly. Um, also, speaking of "Burning Up," 
I am obsessed with the anecdote where when Britney and uh, famed producer Max Martin of and Juliet musical fame, uh, <laughs> yes. went, they went to dinner to like talk about working together and they set the table on fire with a candle and M- Max Martin was just like, we should go. And they just like walked out of this burning restaurant. <laughs> like choice, That's- choice anecdote, Britney. Yeah, and that's one of those things where, like, akin to, again, just to throw back to my very first ever episode of Worst Bestsellers, where, mm-hmm. like, Tyra's wild sci-fi novel was, like, so ineptly told that you're like, okay, Tyra actually did write this because a ghostwriter would have produced something more coherent. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there are so many anecdotes that don't have, like, a button on them. Like, there's no, like place it goes she's just like telling a story that you're like oh this is this is genuinely britney spears it wasn't like you know we lit that table on fire like just the way we would light the charts on fire you know the following year it was just like this is a wild thing that happened with max martin and here's how it went and there's no like symbolism or foreshadowing it's just like what a goofy story yeah yeah, Brittany it is a goofy story thank you for sharing that with us (laughs) also in that same chapter she talks about like being at a party and walking into a screen door and being so embarrassed which I also did at that age and she was like it's been 25 years and this is still one of my most vivid memories of like being embarrassed and walking into a screen door and I'm like honestly same Brittany (laughs) we're the same in this instance (laughs) um yeah, so she, you know, she her 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 music career is is starting off. She does a mall tour, um, she does uh, you know, the her a lot of interviews and a lot of starts to get a lot of press for her first album, um, and her, you know, it, it begins this cycle that repeats over and over again in her life. That even if you're not a fan. Like, even I was aware of this just, like, constant sexualization of this young woman. And yeah. then anger at her that other people are sexualized. Anger at her for having a female body, essentially. Yeah. Well, yes. Anger at her for having a female body that she, like, the way that she'll put it is she was like, I just wanted to look cute. Right? Yes. And, like, yes. she didn't draw the template for, like, what looking cute looked like. Right? Yeah. Like, she didn't decide. And it's interesting because she's very much the architect of her own image in a lot of ways, right? Especially with the Baby One More Time video, where the concept that they had for that was like, she was going to be in space and she's going to look like a Power Ranger. And she was like, no, this is dumb. We're going to be in school, bored. When the bell rings, we're going to bust out dancing and like, we're going to be in Catholic school uniforms. And it's like, she knows that this is cute and she knows that this is cool and she knows that teenagers will respond to it, but she didn't embed all of the like gross pedophilic messaging like in that outfit. Like she doesn't know why that outfit is like quote unquote cute, why that outfit is like powerful. Like she just knows that it is right. And so I feel like you're putting this burden on her of like understanding like what like like of trying to be deliberately a Lolita rather than like confronting the fact that she's the product of a culture where, you know, women are taught that our only power comes from our sexuality. And then we're also taught that like if we're consciously exercising that power in any way, we're demons. Yeah, right. That is exactly it. 
it is, and it, it is like a constant, like there's a point where she talks about how she's being interviewed by MTV on the street where people are responding to her like outfits that she wears and, you know, whether or not they think it's appropriate that she dresses this way. And she is like, she is a, a, a teen and a young adult who is just trying to exist in an industry that says that in order to thrive, she has to be this way. And anytime she tries to be that way, all they want to do is uh, tear her down and mock her and, uh, you know, crucify her for, for, changing and not even changing but like you know creating her look and her style and her existence to fit this mold of what she's being told she needs to do in the first place yeah yeah from here's in Brittany's words i was never quite sure what all these critics thought i was supposed to be doing a bob dylan impression i was a teenage (laughs) girl from the south i signed my name with a heart i liked looking cute why did everyone treat me, even when I was a teenager, like I was dangerous? Yeah. Yeah. And it is, you know, like when you see it written down like this, you're like, yeah, that was really bullshit, Brittany. I'm sorry you had to go through that. I'm yeah. sorry for the part I played in that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I definitely treated her like she was the one who was manufacturing these standards rather than just the person capable of complying with them without mm-hmm. like crushing shame yeah Yeah. right i'm like that wasn't actually who she was Brittany. like you were you were crushing it and killing it and i'm sorry that uh you had to crush it and kill it in a way that you would be um villainized for yeah she also starts dating justin timberlake around this time yeah speaking of being villainized yeah if her if her father is the villain of the first, the male villain of the first section of the book, Justin is definitely the villain of the second section of the book. Well, the middle section. Yeah. We, we have like yeah. Jamie Spears at the beginning and then Jamie Spears really comes back to be the great Satan at the end. But in the middle, yes. we get a lot of Justin and a little bit of Kevin Federline and the paparazzi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But at first they start dating and it's great and they're so in love and they wear the matching denim outfits. <laughs> and Brittany says of the which we'll post a picture if you're not familiar, but you might be. Um, I get that it was tacky, but it was also pretty great in its way. And I'm always happy to see it parodied as a Halloween costume. I've heard Justin get flack for the look. On one podcast where they were teasing him about it, he said, you do a lot of things when you're young and in love. And that's exactly right. We were giddy, and those outfits reflected that. So for a little while, a great time, even though he's occasionally cheating on her, and she knows about it, but she is willing to look the other way because they're so in love. Mm -hmm. But then she gets pregnant. Yeah, I feel like this is the first major bummer section. But that's not true. There are so many major bummers before this. Yeah. Yeah. Her whole life is kind of a major bummer. This is one of the anecdotes that like escaped containment and went viral on its own, but yeah, worth discussing. Uh, Justin like didn't want to keep the baby, and so they like pressured her into having abortion that she didn't want to do because, I mean, look, Brittany's pretty sincerely religious, and like she loves babies, and like yeah. you know, I'm sh- you know sh- she wanted. Like, I'm pro-choice, but pro-choice includes the choice to keep the baby if you want. And Brittany, like, did want to. Yeah. And 
And also because of the paparazzi and because of the secrecy and blah, 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 they like made her have like, a, you know, take the abortion pill at home and not go to the hospital and not see the see a doctor. And it sounded like it was a pretty brutal experience. A brutal experience that included a portion where like after she'd been having the most painful cramps of her life for hours and like puking in the bathroom and like lying on the bathroom floor. Justin Timberlake, who wouldn't take her to the hospital, decided to serenade her with his acoustic guitar on the bathroom floor, thinking music would help. I could not imagine anything worse than going through that kind of physical pain, emotional pain, and I'm sure on some level, like, shame that it's come to this, and then having a man play a guitar at me while it was all happening. Yeah. And, like, and it being a man you love, so you have to, like, validate what he's attempting to do even while it's obviously like not doing anything to actually comfort oh you god. yeah you be like babe oh my god this vision of push is so good i was just gonna make a push joke yeah. obviously <laughs> uh, <laughs> art reflects reality reality reflects yeah art. yeah it's one big um, ouroboros I- or whatever and hey, Ryan Gosling, it all comes back to the fucking Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah, yes, yeah. This was another one of the really interesting things about this is like hearing about all of the like, like, alternate, like all of Britney's sliding doors moments, right? Yeah. One of which is she was one of the, she and Rachel Adams were the last two people up for the role of um, whatever rich lady in the notebook. <laughs> Yeah, the role of girl in Notebook. Yeah. Yes. And she declined because during Crossroads, I guess she like unintentionally became a method actor. Yeah. (laughs) I've never seen Crossroads. Have you guys? I have seen Crossroads. Um, Um, What did you make of that section? I mean, the thing is, in Crossroads, she is sort of basically playing herself. Yeah. And she does mention that in the book, too. Like, the character wasn't that different from me. But I guess it was... It was different enough. And, like, the whole thing of Crossroads is that, like, Brittany's character is looking for her mom. And she, like, goes on this road trip to find her mom. Like, who had given... like. I don't remember if she gave her up for adoption or just like separated from her dad early, mm-hmm. but then she goes to find her mom and her mom's like, I don't give a fuck. And it, it's like pretty sad for like what seemed to be like a poppy fun movie, which I guess is like the Britney Spears experience. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I guess if she was like leaning too much into that part with like the mom abandonment issues. But yeah. she says that it's like she had like a completely different way of like walking and carrying herself. And she was like, yeah. I was just like a totally different person. And I too have only seen trailers, but I certainly watched those trailers and I was like, oh sure. It's actors and Britney Spears being Britney Spears. But her internal experience of it was very different in a way that sort of like scared her off acting forever. Which then is also playing a role in like one of the things that she was offered. She was offered the part of Roxy Hart in like the Chicago movie musical. Yeah. And I really wonder, like, I wonder if we would have been able to see her differently if she'd been in those roles or if her being in those roles just would have delegitimized those properties. Yeah. You're right. It is a, it is a sliding doors moment. And I, I don't know. 
Yeah. Like, I just don't know what Brittany looks like with that cute blonde haircut. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know how she finds her John Hannah. <laughs> it's wild. But yeah, it's it's wild. She she breaks up with Justin after the secret. Well, Justin uh, breaks up with her after the, the secret abortion happens. Yeah. You know, here's another quote. After that, I was messed up. At, and that referring to, like, the abortion. After mm-hmm. that, I was messed up for a while. Duh. Especially because I did still love Justin so much. It was insane how much I loved him. And for me, it was unfortunate. I should have seen the breakup coming, but I didn't. (laughs) And she's like, she's especially heartbroken because while they were together, and I I guess like even before they were together, when they were just friends, she would like spend holidays with his family. Like she considered like his mom, his parents to be like her family too. So, yeah. like, leaving that and then going back to her family was also very hard on top of losing this man who she was in love with. Yeah. And the narrative, like, it doesn't explicitly spell out, but definitely the way it seems is it's, like, Justin wanted to go solo. And his team was, like, you'll never be taken seriously as a solo artist while you're still dating your, like, teeny bopper girlfriend. So, like, you have to break up with her. Uh, and then also was like, and wouldn't her being a cheating whore be a great hook for your like sexy soul R and B album? Um, yeah. And Justin was like, yeah, sounds great. And then did that to Brittany. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Why do men treat this woman this way? It's horrifying. <laughs> yeah, threw her oh, under the bus oh. and up the river that he cried. Yeah. There's a moment where they're like, I think they're like, I think the first time they kiss, there's like a Janet Jackson song playing in the background. And it's like foreshadowing. Mm, So true. It's like all the women Justin will do dirty. I would just like Justin Timberlake to never have a career again. Like, yeah, it would really, I would like that now. I would like that if he would just, he's made plenty of money. You have your wife, Jessica Biel. I think they have kids. God bless. I've never seen them. I hope they never try to be Nepo babies. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I would love that man to just never, never grace a screen again. That would be ideal. Um, so she, she goes into a little bit of a funk after this. She kind of retreats into her apartment and herself. She doesn't go out a lot. She spends a lot of time like sitting on her couch in her apartment, not, not really doing anything. Um, which of course the press like takes to be that she's having like a breakdown, which I mean, she, she may be having she's, like, catatonic at various different yeah. points. Like she couldn't speak. She was so depressed about Justin. Yeah. It's rough. Yeah. And you're like for this guy, babe. Yeah. Multiple times she refers to Benjamin Button and like, she- that she feels like she's Benjamin Buttoning and like returning to a a younger, more vulnerable age. Yeah. Um, which I buy. I also buy. Uh, she goes on dates with some other folks over the course of time. She has a crazy bone sesh with um Colin Farrell. Yeah, yes. which love that for her, obviously. Definitely. 
this is also when this is another little anecdote that sort of has been talked about where she thinks she saw an alien and what <laughs> which will be my dramatic reading so we'll get into more of that later but she went on a road trip with a friend and it said the friend had been dating Justin's best friend and I was like oh who is this and first of all if you google Justin Timberlake best friend it comes back Jimmy Fallon which, Oof. you know, I feel like that is the punishment that Justin Timberlake deserves, probably. <laughs> uh, but then I was like, that can't be... like." And then it's like, oh, they have this like fun TV bromance or whatever. I'm like, yeah, fine. Um, but then I think maybe his actual best friend is a man named Trace Ayala. Ayala. And then mm-hmm. uh, I ended up on this very sketchy website called whosedatedwho.com. And there right. is there are listings for this man Trace Ayala, and I think at the era perhaps the person who Brittany is referring to is a woman named Jenny Morris who's not like very famous, but it's possible that it was Tara Reid, and whoa, and that's <laughs> that's what I wish and hope. Yeah, that Brittany and Tara Reid saw an alien. But, <laughs> um, I don't think so, but it could be. It could be. It could be. We just, we can't rule it out entirely. Exactly. Uh, also, she meets Madonna and gets um, Kabbalah-flavored con- confidence from her. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. With, like, Brittany got a Kabbalah tattoo, and I'm like, okay. Like, but she, like, really reveres Madonna. And I'm like, you know what? Madonna is a good role model for you, Brittany. Um, and, you know, they have their VMAs kiss, and they have they have their collaboration and i remember at the time people being like oh like britney is just like doing this for attention like blah, blah, like blah 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 like i i think britney just like loved madonna and who- also like britney sort of was doing it for attention but like she's a pop star and that's her job you know Chris, to yeah. do things for attention to a certain extent yeah yeah absolutely during this time she is is the first of her marriages happens um she's hanging out with her friends and they're hanging out at her house in louisiana and she realizes like hey like i'm a pop star i have money we don't have to be hanging out here we can be wherever we want to be um so she books them all flights to louisiana uh, no from louisiana to las vegas um where she uh gets very drunk and is with like a guy friend of hers and is like what if we go get married and they do and then she wakes up the next morning and her parents and like her entire management team are at the hotel and they're furious with her for doing this so she does have to immediately go and get the marriage annulled which i think was a thing that i was vaguely aware of at the time having Mm -hmm. had happened i definitely knew about this at the time Mm -hmm. yes and and again, it was definitely something in the media that was like, oh, like Britney's so trashy, like blah 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 blah, like whatever, yeah. man. Yeah, this is when she starts to be like, um, like white trash, wily coyote in terms of like how I perceive <laughs> <Yeah>. her. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Um, with all of the like vicious classes implications of that, that I certainly wasn't unpacking when I was reading these news items. That was like a twenty four year old. No, no. No, um, this is when she meets Kevin Federline. Yeah, and she just like I think at this point is really looking for any sort of connection. She's touring all the time, you know. She's she's tired, 
Uh, and when she meets Kevin Federline, like the thing that sticks out in her head is that he just holds her, like not even in a sexual way. He just holds on to her uh, several times, including in a swimming pool. Yeah, um, like hours. Yeah, because well, she hurt her knee. She was having, yeah. she was doing aqua therapy by being held by Kevin Federline in a pool. Mm-hmm. She may and, not have known it, but she was. Mm-hmm. She's just sort of like settled into this idea of like okay, like, this is this is what I want. I want a man who will hold me and take care of me. And, you know, this is, I want a family. And and he, here I go. This is what I'm going to do. Um, and, of course, throughout all of this, the paparazzi are vultures and terrible and stalking her and doing all of the terrible things that paparazzi always do in stories like this. Mm-hmm. Um you know, she ends up having two children within like a year of each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which I can't even imagine. Yeah. And- I do think that just in terms of like genetics, evolution, like why is it that men like Kevin Federline are just like so fucking fertile? <laughs> like why why did we give him the like know. the like killer sperm? Just unfair. Hmm. <laughs> I yeah. I don't know. I a, a terrible joke on us, I suppose. Just a real vicious trick. But I mean, Brittany wanted those kids. Like uh, one, like Brittany loves her sons. She all she wants is to be a mom, and they're like won't let her be a fucking mom. Yeah, yeah. And like one of the things that she quotes at this point in time is basically like she has the kids. She her marriage is falling apart. Kevin is trying to make himself into a pop star, but he's not talented and he's not going to succeed, but he's still just treating her like shit. And um, right after they announce their divorce, like she's at the VMAs, right? And they do an extended bit of like throwing like Kevin, like like a, like a decoy of Kevin, like drowning him. Yeah, and, and like Jimmy Kimmel no calls him yeah, a no-hit wonder. And then Sarah Silverman comes out and makes a lot of mean jokes about Britney. And one of the ones that she quotes is calling her sons the two most adorable mistakes you'll ever see. And, like, uh, you can tell after all this time, like, it still sits hard with Britney. Yeah. yeah. Justifiably. I mean, yeah, like, it just, it's awful. Like, he, she's she's being hounded by the press She's being, you know, sidelined by this man who is the father of her children, who she, you know, at this point still sort of loves. Like, it, it, it's terrible. Yeah, here's here's another little quote from the that era. That's the thing about this industry. I never knew how to play the game. I didn't know how to present myself on any level. I was a bad dresser. Hell, I'm still a bad dresser, and I'll admit that. And I work on that. I try. But as much as I'll own my flaws, ultimately, I know that I am a good person. And I see now that you have to be smart enough, vicious enough, deliberate enough to play the game. And I did not know the game. I was truly innocent, just clueless. I was a newly single mom of two little boys. I didn't have the time to fix my hair before I went out into a sea of photographers. Like, yeah. Yeah. You shouldn't have had to do that, babe. You shouldn't have had to do that. Yeah, and the, yeah. and then the game was so easy. Also, like it was totally stacked for like Justin and Kevin oh, to be yeah. like, you know, oh she's trashy, like blah blah blah. I want the kids, like blah blah blah. Like infuriating, infuriating, yes. infuriating. 
Yeah, Kevin takes full custody of the kids at one point, but, like, he takes them for a visit and won't give them back. And after she, like, begs and cajoles and tries everything to get them back, and she's so frustrated and upset that she just marches into a hair salon and has them shave her head. And that, I think, is the start of sort of the, like, quote-unquote breakdown that people are probably most familiar with and again i'm speaking for myself here as someone who mm-hmm. is not super mm-hmm. pop culturally aware but was aware of certain britney spears things and i will say that like head shaving can't get custody of her kids was like the beginning of her seeping back into my awareness um as you know in the midst of this this traumatic event in her life Yes. And sorry, here's here's another quote from Brittany that I think, again, like very articulate and self-aware of this era. Shaving my head was a way of saying to the world, fuck you. You want me to be pretty for you? Fuck you. You want me to be good for you? Fuck you. You want me to be your dream girl? Fuck you. I'd been the good girl for years. I'd smiled politely while TV show hosts leered at my breasts while American parents said I was destroying their children by wearing a crop top while executives patted my hand condescendingly and second-guessed my career choices, even though I'd sold millions of records, while my family acted like I was evil. Yeah. You know what? Shave your head. Shave it all. Yeah. It's rough. This is around the time, I think, of Leave Britney Alone. Yes. Right, which is like the viral video. And it's like, at the time, I thought that was really ridiculous. And I don't think that the person who, like, the YouTube figure who uploaded that, I feel like they've got a complex history right now, but I just want to say like, we all should have been saying leave Brittany alone. Absolutely. Correct. Leave Brittany alone. Brittany really deserved to be left alone. And I think, I think at the era too, another, she hasn't mentioned this in the book, but I remember this really clearly. And this actually like really was influential and changed my way of thinking was um, the late night comedian, Craig Ferguson gave a little monologue that was like, Hey, I'm a sober alcoholic and I mean it was basically like his version of Leave Brittany Alone. Like yeah. you know, um that it seems like she's going through something and I'm rooting for her and it must be so hard for her to do that with the public eye. And I was just like, that is like so classy and like obviously I hadn't been going on late night TV and making fun of her myself, but I sure. was like I'm ashamed for like ever participating in that. And that was like part one of my like my own reckoning with with the way that you know what we've been talking about the way that the the patriarchy uses these women and the the norms that they've created to make to make the girls fight yep yep yeah way to go craig ferguson one of the only people to come out of the mid-aughts like covered in glory yeah Yeah. um so a lot of other things happen to her. Jamie Lynn gets pregnant and the family keeps it from her. Um, everything in her life feels like it's going downhill. She's addicted to Adderall, which is the only drug that she claims can help her depression at this point. She has terrible postpartum depression after the birth of her second son. Um, she is dating. She starts dating a former paparazzi who is a photographer and doesn't realize that he's actually already married and he's having an affair with her. It's just there are like, a couple of things where that happens. She also like, doesn't realize Kevin Federline has kids, but then she finds out and you're like, and then Brittany, you didn't change your behavior at all. Yeah. I think the same thing happens with the, the photographer 
who weirdly is never named. I was curious about the legality of that. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. Who cares? He's a, he's a bad man. There's he's, one one of many in this book in her life. True. Yeah. And it is around this time that the conservatorship is first brought up and she is first placed underneath this this guardianship where her father is named as you know the the head of her household the head of her estate she can't do anything like it, it it's something that she says is frequently used with folks who are having mental health issues or might be a danger to themselves or others as like a temporary measure it's not usually made you know not usually an issue with folks who have like full cognitive control of their lives and you know have have direction and have careers and a goal like she's still making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month or a year you know as Britney Spears and she is up to this point like managing most of her life semi-successfully but yeah she has she has a bowl of receipts she has a bowl of receipts receipts. what else would she need (laughs) she would need to be left alone Mm -hmm. um and I, I should point out, Brittany doesn't mention this in the book at all, but I know one thing that came out when when Brittany was freed and the conservatorship was ended was a lot of disability advocates were like, hey, also, like, it's great that Brittany got out, but a lot of people with disabilities are also being, like, unfairly held on these conservatorships. And Yeah. Um, it's an ongoing These issue. might be bad, actually. They might be bad, actually, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's definitely bad for Brittany. Um Quote, I remain shocked that the state of California would let a man like my father, an alcoholic, someone who declared bankruptcy, who'd failed in business, who'd terrified me as a little girl, control me after all my accomplishments and everything I'd done, including the organizational system of keeping all of her receipts in a bowl. Um, And then this part, again, the pacing, like we kind of go through the 13 years of conservatorship relatively quickly. There's like the Vegas residencies, which she doesn't enjoy doing. Um, Well, she enjoys it at first and then she doesn't enjoy it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And like they won't let her change it up and add new songs and she feels bad. The The level to which her father and these other people were controlling her is just like it's inhumane. You know, he yeah, he's it's telling like, her every every day that she's fat and that he puts her on like a diet where all she can have are canned vegetables and chicken, and he's mad that she's not losing weight. He's mad that like he he gets to dictate like what she eats, what she drinks, when she goes to the bathroom. Uh huh. It's like Bertha Rochester shit, and like huh. oh my god, you just. You listen to these things and it's like you hear of all of these narratives like from throughout history of just like women being like completely cruelly disenfranchised and you're like, wow, it's so great. But like that couldn't happen to somebody in my lifetime. And you're like, fuck, it could and did. Yep. Right? Like misogyny is actually that powerful. <laughs> yeah. And throughout it, she talks about like the kind of like shining light being like the the small amounts of time that she gets to spend with her kids and part of the reason why she goes along and doesn't make such a fuss of things is because they're you know they're like well if you like act out then you won't see your kids at all and she's like i'll i'll do anything for my kids like so she kind of is going along with stuff to see yeah she says i think specifically something like i would die for my kids so like why not 
surrender yeah. my entire life. Yeah. Oh, I did pull that quote. There's there's nothing I love more, nothing more important to me on this earth than my children. I'd lay down my life for them. So I thought, why not my freedom? Yeah. Because she is, she is allowed to regularly see her kids at this point. Like, she's allowed to spend time with them. They, you know, she, because she's being, you know, observed and taken care of, like, they are allowed to to be with her but it is under these like terrible circumstances and the other like wild fucking thing in all of this is that she has a queen a court appointed lawyer and she doesn't realize for a very long time that she could get her own lawyer like so yeah. she just has this lawyer who just doesn't seem very invested in her case or in like help actually helping her and yeah. just like no one bothers to tell her that she can get her own lawyer it's not even no one bothers to tell her. I suspect people actively suppress the information. Yes. Yes. Well, yeah. Um, but yeah, she, she, it's just like terrible things that, you know, she, she's in these relationships. If she's in a relationship, like the guy has to have like a background check at a pre interview screening with her father before he can go on a date with her. Um, and a blood test and so does Brittany and he needs to be told her entire medical history like again like before the first date yeah it just sucks it's it's just everything in her life at this point is just very very terrible Mm -hmm. according to Brittany the only illegal drug use she ever does is like off prescription Adderall um but what is a bone of contention between her and her dad is like she dates this guy who quote unquote takes very good care of himself and like uses a lot of over the counter energy supplements, which she also mm-hmm. uses. And like her dad thinks she's addicted to them. And like that is how she gets sent to rehab like multiple times during this period against her will because she's using energy supplements. Her dad doesn't think she should that she can buy over the counter. Yeah. Yeah. He starts making her go to AA meetings for it. Which is, like, I won't I won't wade into the weeds of, like, mandatory <laughs> AA meetings and how I feel about that and many other things within that sphere. But it's just, like, every everything, it just sounds so awful. Like, everything about this is so awful. And it, I, I do wonder, like, if she had had access to, like, actual treatment and actual support and actual, like anything throughout this and not just people who want her for her money yeah it's 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 so sad it's so sad if she had people who were interested in making her healthy rather than people who were interested in making her compliant yes and like capable of performing right yeah like how different would things look for her right now it is it is wild to contemplate. Um yeah. and depressing. Wild and depressing to contemplate. And yes. you definitely get the experience like we were talking earlier about like this is somebody whose um higher understanding of the world is very like gleaned, like piecemeal from yeah. sort of like the detritus, but it's somebody who like maybe hasn't gone to college, but like has definitely been through a lot of therapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there are a lot of questions open about like how that therapy was being used and how effective it really was. But I think that that's really apparent. It's like, there seems to have been a lot of therapeutic processing of her childhood 
and her youth and her type three conservatorship and almost no therapeutic processing yet of the conservatorship, which is not surprising because she was like barely outside of it when this book was published. Yeah. So there's just like, um, like her sense of that time is very fuzzy. Like the indignity of it is so enormous. That's yes. almost difficult to convey concisely. Yeah. Is the way that you feel. It's like this is just somebody like describing like, the worst experiences they could possibly have. And you can see that she doesn't have like the crystallized moments like like pulled out and identified the same way she does with her youth. Yeah, it is one part that kind of the silver lining is uh, i guess whatever like her talking about her weird instagram videos which you know much has been said about her her instagram videos (laughs) um but she says i tried to get back in touch with my creativity and to follow visual and music artists on instagram i came across a guy making trippy videos one was just a baby pink screen with a white tiger with pink stripes walking across it Seeing that, I felt a natural urge to create something myself, and I started playing around with a song. At the beginning of it, I added the sound of a baby laughing. I thought it was different. Hissam said, don't put a baby laughing in it. I listened to his advice and took it out. But after a while, another account I followed posted a video with a baby laughing, and I was jealous. I should have done that. The creepy laughing baby should have been my thing. Artists are weird, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Chase your vision, Brittany. You deserve it. You do. Uh, um. Yeah, and then it's really just a couple chapters of, like, post-conservatorship. She gets to go to Hawaii with her kids and ride jet skis. She gets to play dress-up on Instagram. She gets to record Hold Me Closer with Sir Elton John. Um, yeah, that one gets a lot of play. Yeah. Um. She does get she does get to have her IUD removed, which is really what brought the ending of the conservatorship to a head. She does get pregnant with her husband, Sam, but then miscarries. And that's again, very sad. And then that's kind of where it ends. And now she and that husband are divorced. Yes. Um, which is sad. Like he seems nice, but it also seems like it's was based on what is out in the media or whatever. Like seems like it was pretty amicable. seems like they're so friendly. So, okay. Yeah. I just want Brittany to be able to write a second book, put as much work or as little work into it as you want to, babe. Make a lot of money off of that. And then just, like, chill and not have to do anything for, like, 10 years. Yes. I would love this woman to not have to do anything for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. There's a scene where she's talking about, well, under the conservatorship, she was, like, able to look after kids. Or not look after kids. She was able to, like, teach kids dance classes. Oh, yeah. And how much she, like, loves it. And also um, accidentally bumping into one of the little girls and, like, how guilty she feels when she does that and how much she cares about that person. And then realizing that, like, none of the people involved in her conservatorship who are taking so much money from her, like, have this degree of, um, like, care or accountability towards her. Yeah. And it's really painful, but you're also like, it's, it's the clearest glimpse you have of like the nice life Brittany could have had if she could have just moved back to Louisiana and like been a dance instructor. Yes. I think it's unfair to say that that's all she wanted because like 
she has like such deep creative satisfaction in a lot of the stuff that she's done. Like when she's talking about her um, dream within a dream tour, she's like obviously like really, really thrilled with what she's put together there. When she talks about um, the album uh, Blackout, right? Mm -hmm. She's like really, really proud of everything she did in that. And she like definitely understands herself as an artist and as a creative person and has able, has been able to succeed on that level in a way that like lots of teenagers wanted to be Britney Spears at exactly the moment Britney Spears came up and like Mandy Moore failed, Jessica Simpson failed to some extent, Christina Aguilera failed, like only Britney was Britney. And we use this Fengali narrative, right. That really erases like how much of that creative vision was actually hers the whole time. Yeah. Um, so I- I'm, I'm glad that she experienced the level of success that she did. And I do think as an artist, like she's ambitious for herself in that way. I am so sorry that she had to become famous at maybe the most excruciating moment to be famous. <laughs> like yeah, in yeah. our, in, in our American 20th century culture. Yeah. Like just the apex of cruelty and completely unexamined. Um, and without any protection from your like studio or label, um, what an awful thing for her to experience, but I'm excited to sort of see like what kind of art she can make as she becomes the woman that's been kind of suppressed inside her by this conservatorship. Like that's the, the woman in me title It's basically like every time she started to function like an adult her parents would come in and sort of shut her down. Um, And now that she's going to sort of like get to have an adult life, I would be really interested in seeing what kind of art adult Britney Spears creates. Same. Yeah. Yeah. And as of right now, it's mostly Instagram videos, but we'll see what, we'll see what the next era is. Exactly. One last quote. Um, this her acknowledgments. One last quote before we move into extended quotes, which is dramatic readings. But <laughs> uh, you know, from from Tyra's model and celebrity <laughs> memoir acknowledgments can be a great trove of insight. Britney's were not that extensive here, but she did say. If you follow me on Instagram, you thought this book was going to be written in emojis, didn't you? And then like 10 rose emojis. <laughs> and She's so much funnier than people give her credit for. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's move on into our dramatic readings. And we'll start with, with Margaret giving us, again, um, a couple moments that were pretty widely talked about. But let's talk about them some more. This is about her relationship with Justin Timberlake. And specifically, this is a section that um, Michelle Williams's audiobook reading thereof uh, certainly went viral. And I-, I am not that Michelle Williams, but like, as Taylor Swift said of T.S. Eliot, like, you know, um, MWMW, I'm, I'm what you guys have, right? <laughs> uh, so here she is about Justin. When he and I were anywhere in the same vicinity, his mom even said this, we were like magnets. We would just find each other immediately and stick together. You couldn't explain the way we were together. It was weird, to be honest, how in love we were. 
His band, InSync, was what people back then called so pimp. They were white boys, but they loved hip hop. To me, that's what separated them from the Backstreet Boys, who seemed very consciously to position themselves as a white group. InSync hung out with black artists. Sometimes I thought they tried too hard to fit in. One day, Jay and I were in New York, going to parts of town I'd never been to before. Walking our way was a guy with a huge, blinged-out medallion. He was flanked by two giant security guards. Jay got all excited and said, so loud, Oh yeah, foches, foches, genuine. What's up, homie? After genuine walked away, Felicia did an impression of Jay. Oh yeah, foches, foches, genuine. I wasn't even embarrassed. He just took it and looked at her like, okay, fuck you, Fee. That was the trip where he got his first necklace, a big T for Timberlake. So that's Justin. This is like the time when it was sort of almost fun to be famous. And so skipping a paragraph, we're just going to continue in to this. Press could be uncomfortable, but at awards show, I felt real joy. The child in me got a thrill seeing Steven Tyler from Aerosmith for the first time at the MTV Video Music Awards. I saw him coming in late, wearing something fantastic that looked like a wizard's cape. I gasped. It felt surreal to see him in person. Lenny Kravitz came in late, too. And again, I thought, legends, legends, everywhere I looked. I started running into Madonna all over the world. I would do shows in Germany and Italy, and we would end up performing at the same European award shows. We'd greet each other as friends. At one award show, I knocked on Mariah Carey's dressing room door. She opened it and outpoured the most beautiful, otherworldly light. You know how we all have ring lights now? Well, more than 20 years ago, only Mariah Carey knew about ring lights. And no, I can't say just her first name. To me, she was always going to be Mariah Carey. I asked if we could take a photo together and tried to take one where we were standing. And she said, no, come stand here, darling. This is my light. This is my side. I want you to stand here so you can get my good side, girl. She kept saying that in her deep, beautiful voice. My good side, girl. My good side, girl. I did everything Mariah Carey told me to do, and we took the photo. Of course, she was completely right about everything. The photo looked incredible. I know I won an award that night, but I couldn't even tell you what it was. The perfect photo with Mariah Carey. That was the real prize. What good taste, Brittany. Such a beautiful moment. She captures so much about both of those people and those anecdotes. I feel like I know so much more about Justin Timberlake and so much more about Mariah Carey now than I did before. And um, I'm so grateful to her for that knowledge. I also, Justin Timberlake's tea for Timberlake necklace can only make me think of the part in High School Musical when Troy gives Gabriella a tea necklace and she's like, tea isn't (laughs) Troy? Wow. Um... And that's, to me, Justin's necklace is Tia's and Troy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to read just a little anecdote from uh, Brittany and probably not Tara Reed, but maybe Tara Reed going on a road mm-hmm. trip. I couldn't stand it anymore. So I escaped to Arizona with a girlfriend. 
that girlfriend happened to have been dating Justin's best friend, and we'd all broken up around the same time, so we decided to take a road trip to get away from all of it. We found each other and decided that we would leave it all behind. Given what she'd been through, my friend was heartbroken too, so we talked a lot, besides ourselves with grief and loneliness, and I was grateful for her friendship. The sky overhead was full of stars while we drove fast through the desert in a convertible with the top down, the wind blowing in our hair, no music playing, just the sound of the night whipping past us. As we looked out at the road stretched before us, an eerie feeling settled over me. I had been moving so fast for so long, it was like I couldn't even catch my breath. Now, in this moment, something filled me, a profound beauty, otherworldly and humbling. I looked over at my friend, wondering if I should say something. But what could I say? Do you believe in aliens? So I stayed quiet and sat there with the feeling for a long moment. Then I heard her voice over the wind. Do you feel that? She said. She looked at me. What is that? Whatever it was, she felt it too. I reached for her hand and held it tight. The poet Rumi says the wound is the place where the light enters you. I've always believed that. The thing we felt that night in Arizona, we felt it at that moment because we needed it. We were so spiritually open and so raw. It showed us there was more than just what we could see. Call it God, call it a higher power, or call it a paranormal experience. Whatever it was, it was real enough that we could experience it together. While it was first happening, I didn't want to bring it up to my friend because I was embarrassed. I was scared she would think that I'd lost my mind. There have been so many times when I was scared to speak up because I was afraid somebody would think I was crazy. But I've learned that lesson now, the hard way. You have to speak the thing that you're feeling, even if it scares you. You have to tell your story. You have to raise your voice. Yes, Brittany. And maybe Tara Reed. <laughs> Excellent. I am going to read just a little bit of uh, Brittany's thanks to her gay fans after her conservatorship ended. So it's right towards near the end of the book. And here we go. Sorry about me sounding like this. Only now do I feel like I'm getting back my trust in other people and my faith in God. I know it makes me happy and brings me joy. I try to meditate on those places and thoughts that enable me to experience it. I love beautiful places, my sons, my husband, my friends, my pets. I love my fans. When it comes to fans, people sometimes ask me about my special relationship with the gay community. For me, it's all about love, unconditional love. My gay friends were always protective of me, maybe because they knew I was the kind knew that I was kind of innocent, not dumb, but way too kind. And I think a lot of the gay guys around me took on a supportive role. I could even feel it on stage when they were beside me. If I thought I didn't do my best performance, I could count on my friends to realize I didn't feel great about it and say, you did so good. That kind of love means everything to me. Some of my favorite nights were when I would go out with my dancers. One time in Europe, we went to a gay club where I felt like everyone around me on the dance floor was so tall. The club played great electro dance music and I loved it. I danced until six o'clock in the morning and felt like it went by in two seconds. My heart was so alive. It was like the mystical time in Arizona. It was a spiritual experience to be with people who I could feel loved me unconditionally. With friends like that, it doesn't matter what you do or say or who you know. That's true love. 
I remember one time in Italy, too, I went to a showcase where some drag artists were doing my songs. It was so amazing. The artists were beautiful. They were living in the moment, and I could tell they loved to perform. They had such heart and drive, and I respect that a lot. So yeah, it's just a nice, a nice little note from from Brittany to the gay community. Mm-hmm. What I want for Brittany is basically like a pop star rehab, like what Brandy Carlisle set up for Joni Mitchell. Ooh, yes. <laughs> so like this is a weird analog, but like Joni Mitchell went through a stroke. And in the process of sort of like gaining back her ability to play instruments and sing and perform, you know, she was kind of exiled from her creative experience. And what Brandy Carlisle did is she got all of the artists of this generation and other generations who like love Brandy Carlisle and she would just have them over to play music at Brandy Carlisle's house. Right. And they would just do like these jams. Right. I just want somebody to do that for like Britney Spears and like Troy Sivan. I'm like Kesha, <laughs> right? Like I want Kesha to organize this. Like that's it. Like I want yes. Kesha to figure out like what the Joni Jam equivalent for Britney Spears is. Yes, and, and to spearhead that movement, and just to, Br- to Britney Spears had that movement exactly. Like I just think that's what she deserves because I, she's been I so agree. influential, and she hasn't gotten she hasn't gotten to receive her flowers yet. And like I want that for her. Yes. Yes, let's speak that into the universe Mm -hmm. and let's move on quickly to Reader's Advisory where we will suggest some books to read instead of or in addition to The Woman and Me by Britney Spears. I I will say like reading this, I enjoyed reading it. Well, parts of it I didn't enjoy because it was such a bummer. But um, I would say that unless you're like a really big Britney fan, you probably have gotten what you need from this book just from what's out there in the media plus this podcast but it's not a, it's not a bad book or anything i know you won't be mad you've read it you won't be mad yeah. you spent time with it um it's, it's just really sad quick read. it's a, it's quick a read. very quick read michelle williams's narration of it is quite compelling yeah um another we have read mariah carey's memoir for this podcast and i would recommend that i would say more strongly i do think mariah carey's like a better writer but uh the meaning of mariah carey was good i will also quickly recommend a novel called Haley aldridge is still here by Alyssa sloan which is basically a fictionalized version of of a britney and conservatorship and ending the conservatorship story that i enjoyed um it's a again a, a pretty like easy read for a novel but it was it was fun and especially if you were like a 90s kid <laughs> you would enjoy it and uh, in a similar vibe for 90s kids, open book by Jessica Simpson is covering like a very similar period of time from a person who was quite similarly traumatized by it. Um, but it's like a little bit of a lighter read because she wasn't put into a conservatorship by her evil dad. Yeah. She just like got to reckon with her alcoholism and um, experience the entire culture like coming around on the topic of high-waisted jeans and (laughs) retroactively venerating her for her leadership on that (laughs) subject (laughs) 
Um, all right. Well, we'll have these and some other ones that we didn't get a chance to talk to up on our website, which is worstbestsellers.com. And now we'll move on to The Rock Paper Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if you're in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if you're in this book. And Margaret can choose which most enhances it or choose paper, which just leave the book as is. I'm excited. So if Dwayne The Rock Johnson were in this book as as the Dwayne The Rock Johnson that we know and love as the mascot of this podcast rather than the actual Dwayne The Rock Johnson who it's not out of the realm of possibility has met Britney Spears at one point um I would like to think that he would uh swoop in early into her childhood to sort of protect her from uh her father and from you know sort of this going down going down the path that that she ends up not that I think necessarily the world wouldn't be a worse place without the music of Britney Spears but I do I do in a similar way to when we read the um Pamela Anderson book I Mm. I am interested in seeing a world in which Britney Spears could just be like a cool weird mom and uh that that's that's the that's the life that i am sketching out here with uh the rock in this where you know maybe he meets her on mickey mouse club and uh maybe he pulls her more to the acting side than to the singing and dancing side even though that's her passion and she realizes pretty quickly that she's not like super into the acting much like she does in you know early on in the memoir and instead just like ends up like picking up weird hobbies and you know settling down and being just like a a weird spacey mom and and i love that for her right compelling compelling uh if wolverine were in this book i think you know he would have ended up in her small hometown at some point you know maybe he's like on his way to catch up with gambit for mardi gras but he stops mm-hmm. at a at a bar in this town Gets in a fight with Jamie Spears, uh, straight up kills him, and Ooh. then skips town. Uh, Brittany would, I think, have some some trauma to process through this for sure, but ultimately uh, her dad would be out of her life much sooner, would not have been able to conservator her. Um, I do think her mom is not blameless in this, but I think without the dad around, I don't think um, it would have gone nearly so badly for the Spears family. Yeah. I mean, I definitely like the thrill of Jamie Spears being killed is huge, but without the equivalent satisfaction of seeing Justin Timberlake killed, I just don't know if it, if it holds the appeal for me, it should. That's Um, yeah. It's fair. I mean, but like neither of them die when the rock saves her. So Mm. I guess Mm. if I'm going to save Britney Spears from the present state of her life, I would rather it be done through her father's death. And that's saying something for me. Yeah. Like murder is wrong unless it's done by a fictional clawed mutant to bad men who really deserve it. Yeah. I (laughs) feel like what I want is for him to just um, take Britney on the road with him. Take Britney under his wing. Yes. You know, like, like in that, like in Logan. Yes. <laughs> yeah, get her some cool sunglasses at the gas station. Hit the road. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm so on board. 
And then maybe she becomes like a singing, dancing, pop star vigilante. Yeah. And kills Justin Timberlake. She tours with Dazzler. I was about to say something about Dazzler. Yes. 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 Love this. Love this collaborative writing process. Um, I'm so glad that you guys let me take part of it. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, this is a game where no one loses except for Jamie Spears, Burn in Hell. <laughs> uh, now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will share his opinions. You know, I mean, Duarte, look. Brittany is definitely more of a dog person, and that's her right, and dog people are valid, and I just, I don't, I, I don't think that she would have been as happy with a cat as a dog. And I know that's hard for you to hear, but I just think she's a dog person and that's okay. Yeah. I that's agree. fair. You know, imagine, imagine what might've happened to that cat, you know, under the conservative conservatorship times. Like, I think, I think we're, we're in a good place here with, with protecting cats and protecting Brittany from. Yeah from the horrors from the horrors i do think it is a compelling idea though because um she does talk about how scared she was of the big snake for the slave for you performance mm-hmm. and what if instead a shoulder cat i a don't shoulder know that would have been better oh that's yeah. compelling um so yeah that that's good feedback dorte uh so yeah, thank thank you for that. And uh, do any humans have any closing thoughts? Just like I hope we all look around and figure out sort of like which women we're punishing for mm-hmm. crushing patriarchal goals today, and like fucking let up on them. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, because they didn't make the rules of the game, and it's not their fault that they can play. When you can't. Yeah. Yeah, my closing thought is I'm I'm glad Brittany is freed and and thanks to all the gays who made that happen. And yeah. Um, Your work is so important. So important. All right. If you would like to come share your your thoughts on Britney Spears with us, uh, please do. We're on Facebook and Instagram. And technically blue sky, but it's honestly, it's too many things to log into and I never post on the blue sky, but it's there. <laughs> we got the name. Uh, mm-hmm. We're spell sellers spelled normally. And we are, wow. s- we're still sort of on Twitter with no S. And I want to point out in a, in the recording room that we have, Margaret has set her name to killing sexy back, but it, the display is cut short. So it just says killing S. And so that, <laughs> um, that's why we don't have the ass because Margaret killed it while she was on her way to kill Sexy back. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, collateral damage in pursuit of of this goal of ending Justin Timberlake, I think that's a noble way for the S to have gone out, frankly. I agree. I, I hope I can never die such a noble death. <laughs> You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, all of the places that you normally find podcasts. And if you do find us there, please take a moment to rate and review. When you rate and review, it moves us up on the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. If you don't rate and review, then we might make you hang out with that spooky snake for a little while just to kind of intimidate you into writing a review. 
but it's fine. The snake is ha- is is friendly. It's okay. Yeah. Don't get too yeah. scared. We also have a Patreon available at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Patreon is a service where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like keep our equipment up to date and keep our website up and running. And in return, there are little uh, perks for you, like postcards and stickers in the mail and like uh, the bonus episodes that we were talking about at the top of this episode. So you should subscribe and uh, learn all about what goes on behind the scene? I don't know what I'm saying. You don't really learn what goes on behind the scenes. You just get to hear <laughs> 30 minutes to an hour of me and Renata talking about nonsense. Yeah. We also have a merch store available, which you can find by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on the link there. So you can find all sorts of designs from our podcast to wear on your body. And finally, we do have a Discord server for fans of the show, which is also linked to from worstbestsellers.com, where you can talk with other fans about episodes and books you're reading and uh, anything else that really crosses your mind. It's pretty loosey-goosey over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to find me personally, I'm at Renata Snacks most places online. Uh, if you're looking for me personally, I'm at 14 Across, uh, mostly on Instagram and Blue Sky. And Margaret, where can we find you in your endeavors? If you're looking for me, you can find me at Mrs. Friday Next these days, mostly on Instagram, although starting to try to get, get in the mix over at Blueski. Um, <laughs> and you can also find me at my newsletter, twobossydames.substack.com. Uh, and as stated, you might hear me on my television podcast soon. Uh, appointment television available everywhere fine podcasts are downloaded um and i think those are the big things oh and no that's not true also i teach classes on things like taylor swift and jane austen uh for not sorry productions you can find out more about that stuff at not sorry works.com uh, and you know, you know, you know Margaret. You love her. She's America's next top best friend. Uh, but we'll we'll link to all her stuff so you can find her if you haven't already. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks talking about. You know, I put I called it best and worst of 2023, but we really have segued into only talking about our best things of 2023. So just our little roundup of our favorite books of the year and uh like i said at the top of the show after that we will be taking our january hiatus um so we'll miss you you can use that time to catch up on your other podcasts um happy holidays we love you and margaret thank you again for joining us thank you so much for having me it was a joy Bye. Okay, hello. I'm back. Apologies. No No problem. It's it's hard to be a little guy. Yeah, it's hard to be a little guy who likes to eat used tampons. Yeah. And then puke them back up. It's yeah. Tough.